Hello, and welcome to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. Every week we'll cover one of the many reported cases of reincarnation, so we can bring the discussion out into the light about what happens to our souls after death. But before we go any further, I'd like to thank Raphael Crux for allowing us to use his music from the freepd.com public domain music site. Firstly, I'd like to apologise for the delay in getting this episode out. I was hoping to be able to air an interview I recorded with Jeff Keane first, however it's taking me a while to edit it, so I thought I'd talk about one of the earliest, most famous and well-documented cases to come out of India. Today we go back to Delhi to discuss the case of Shanti Devi. Clayton B, this one is for you. I've found an out-of-print book by one of Shanti Devi's close friends, Stuart Lonestrand, a Swedish researcher who became friends with Shanti and who wrote a book about her case called Shanti Devi, I Have Lived Before. The book has a personal statement from Shanti Devi certifying that his book alone has all the full and actual information. So it's as close as I can get to going straight to the source, which I always try and do. And this gem of a book provides so much information about Shanti Devi's story that you never hear. So I hope you like it. Shanti Devi was born on December 11, 1926. A small child, she was tiny and delicate and much quieter than most children. She didn't really communicate a great deal before the age of four to the point where her parents thought she might be dumb. But when she did start speaking, the things that she said upset her family greatly. It wasn't just the things that Shanti Devi was saying that was so upsetting to the family. It was the fact that she spoke in a dialect that was unknown to the family and she used slang that nobody in the house had ever heard before. Because Shanti Devi had memories and her memories didn't seem to fit with her life. In the life she was living as a little girl, Shanti was living in Delhi, in a part of the capital that is extremely overcrowded, with dark narrow streets that had too many doors that seemed to press in from all sides. The street was dark with only occasional spears of sunlight that would make it through the shadows. The family lived near the bazaar and the sweet and pungent odour of food and humanity lay heavy in the air. The noise of people was always present as vendors called out to people walking by and wagons squeaked and jutted as they moved along the street. Occasionally a motor car horn could be heard. But Shanti's memories were of another life. A life lived as a beautiful young woman, as fragile as a doll with sad eyes but a smiling face. A deeply religious woman with a kind and compassionate soul. She wore expensive jewellery and a glittering red and gold sari. In the middle of her forehead, she had the bindi, or holy mark, which signified that she was married. Fastened over her hair, she wore a pearl trinket, and on her ankles were her chura, or bracelets, which were given to her by her father-in-law on the day of her marriage, which jingled as she danced. Shanti felt a sense of confusion about her life. She felt that her existence was divided by a membrane, and on one side was the reality of her life in Delhi, and on the other was the memory of her life in Mutra, as a young woman. As a little girl, she at first didn't understand why she had these memories of this beautiful woman in the red sari. But in time, as she grew, she came to realise that she was in fact that woman. She found it extremely difficult to reconcile that she was no longer the real woman as she called her, and was in fact a little girl living hundreds of miles away. The memories were so strong that they felt like reality, and this current life 
felt like the dream. She would wander out into the courtyard looking for the well she remembered polishing silverware beside, her confusion growing as the well she expected to see wasn't there. She grew up with a sense of longing that couldn't be described, and a sense that there was a life out there for her that was her real world, her real life, if only she could get back to it. She knew her real name was Lugadi Devi, not Shanty Devi. She had memories of a large, beautiful yellow house with beautiful windows that shone brilliant yellow in the sunshine. It was an elegant house, the house that would be expected for a member of the Chobay family to live in. Matura, or Mutra, as the locals called it, is considered to be the birthplace of Krishna. Krishna is a major deity in Hinduism. He's worshipped as being the eighth avatar of the god of Vishnu. An avatar means the material presence or incarnation. So another way of putting it is that Krishna is the eighth reincarnation of the god Vishnu or the eighth time he appeared on earth. While it's the administrative centre of the Mathura district and of the state of Uttar Pradesh, Mutra is most well known as being a holy town and is known for the many spires and temples that exist within the city's confines. It's been chosen as a heritage city for its cultural significance. But in Shanti Devi's mind, it is most loved as being her home. To her, it was more real than her home in Delhi. Her heart lived on a street that was blue and she remembered going to the banks of the Jumna, the holy river, to the pool by the temple and baths. She remembered a clock tower with great gates. She saw herself travelling under it as she went to make sacrifices of fruit and flowers and pastries at the large Dwarkadish temple for the baby she was carrying. She implored the god, Please be gracious towards your humble servant, Lugadi Devi. Allow me to give birth to a son. She remembered her fear as she was preparing to go to hospital for the birth of her son and her husband telling her not to be afraid that she was going to be in the best hospital and that she would only be leaving for a short time before she'd come back to her beautiful home with him. The pain of the birth came to her, like a sharp stabbing feeling. She remembered telling her husband she wanted her son to be named Nuanit, one who is enlightened by wisdom. She remembered the tiredness she felt as her body started to fail. She had a memory of her husband's voice in her head and she often remembered the things he said to her. Shanti spoke of living in Mutra, but there was no town called Mutra. There was Mathura, which the locals called Mutra. But how did a little girl only four years of age know that? How did she know about pregnancy? Her mother noticed how her voice changed when she spoke of the past, appearing older than she was. And she also had very different eating patterns to the family. She refused to eat anything but sattvic food, which is a vegetarian diet based on Ayurvedic principles. Followers avoid rojas or tumas food like meat, eggs, refined sugar, spicy food and fried food. When her parents questioned where she learned such a word, she replied, it's the word we use in Mutra. We don't eat meat. It's not right to kill animals and a terrible crime to eat them. People eat meat anyway, but we don't do it. When she was asked by who she meant by we, she replied, I make sure my husband is served sattvic food and the servants are not allowed to touch what he eats. When he comes home from his store by the Duokarish temple, everything is ready to be served. I taste the food first and I serve him myself. He likes it that way. 
We eat our food in our way, you eat yours in your way. We have our clothes, you have yours. I want my clothes and my churis. Shanty Debbie's pronouncement was shocking to the family as it was a major insult to both of her parents. Her mother, Prem, was angry and demanded that she leave the table without food, but her father supported her, saying she would eat her own way and prepare her own food. Shanty Debbie would speak of this life often, and her parents at first, thinking there was something wrong with her, would just brush it off. But as time went on and the things Shanty spoke of started to become verifiable, their perplexity turned to fear. Later, Rang Bahadur, who is Shanti's father, spoke about the matter with his wife Prem, musing over Shanti Devi's use of the word juries and chand. He knew that a chand was a trinket or a piece of jewellery worn on the forehead, but the word juries was not correct Hindi. Prem suggested that Shanti Devi was living another life, and her husband agreed with her, revealing his fear that she might be remembering a past life. His recollection of the ancient scriptures was that anyone remembering a past life was doomed to a life of unhappiness and would be put to death, and he feared that he might be unable to protect his daughter and be punished for having such a child. One day when Shanti Devi was six, she was out in the street playing with the twin sons of a wealthy and well-respected lawyer who lived nearby, named Tara Chand Matur. Shanti Devi started drawing a picture of a temple, and when the boys replied that the temple they all knew didn't look like that, Shanti Devi continued drawing it, adding the clock tower, spires, and gates of the temple in Mutra. One of the boys told Shanti Devi it wasn't a real temple, to which she replied it was a real temple, it's the one she goes to a lot. She told them it was the Dwakadish temple in Mutra. The boys teased her about talking about Mutra again, and she asked a passing greengrocer if there was such a place. He replied that yes, there was, and that everybody knew of it. She asked him if it was far away, and he told her it was about a day's travel away, maybe more if a person was travelling on foot. When she told him she wanted to go there, he smiled and gave her some fruit, telling her it was too far for her to go before leaving, but Shanty remained undeterred and started walking in the direction he pointed. The boys tried to draw her back home again, but she refused to follow and kept walking. The greengrocer had told her that she had to go straight, but the road started to curve, so she asked a nearby grocer how to get there. He asked her why she wanted to go to Mutra, and she said, I'm married there. My husband is waiting for me. The grocer looked at the little girl and burst out laughing, offending her. She tried to explain it further to him, telling him that her husband was a businessman who had a large store near the temple. People nearby stopped and started looking at her and then started asking her questions and before long there was a crowd. As she spoke, people began to laugh, not meaning to be unkind, but they hurt her feelings. So she took off running through the crowded market. As she ran, she found herself running into the lawyer, Tara Chand Matur. He asked her where she was going and when she said she was going home, he pointed out she was going in the wrong direction for her Delhi home and she found herself telling him about her memories. The lawyer listened to the little girl seriously, seeing how earnest she was. He asked what the name of her husband was. In India, women do not speak of their husband's name as a sign of respect to him, and also due to the superstitious belief that voicing his name may attract bad karma upon him. So instead of answering, Shanti Devi covered her face with a fold of her sari and said, I can't tell you that. My husband would not like me talking about him with strangers.
Not wishing to be unkind to the little girl, but not really wanting to get involved, the lawyer told Shanty that he wanted to help her, but he needed to know her husband's name before he could believe her. He also said that she should give him the address if she had it. However, his platitudes to the little girl weighed on his conscience and he found himself unable to forget her and his little face as she told him of her memories. And life was difficult for the little girl, but a series of events were about to unfold that would change everything. Shanty Devi made the mistake of telling some of the other girls at the school about her memories. One day, when she was nearly nine, while waiting for her father to pick her up, she was teased and bullied by the other girls. The head teacher of her school, Bishan Shan, saw the altercation and came over to intervene. The other children tried to defend themselves by saying that Shanty Devi was lying, saying she was a wealthy adult woman who was married to a Brahmin shopkeeper and that they were just trying to get her to tell the truth. The teacher dismissed the other children and told them to go home, while he fronted Shanty Devi sternly, asking her what she'd made up. She tearfully related the details of her memories, and he told her that truth was life's foundation, and he would speak to her father about it. Shanty Devi took off running again before the teacher could stop her. She said in her book that she just wanted to get away, to escape from anyone who couldn't understand. Her memories of the real temple, as she called it, kept calling to her and she would search every temple she saw, looking for the one she remembered so well. From the book, it sounds like she found a temple not long after the bullying event. One day she found a temple and the facade was shimmering in yellow and orange and for a moment she thought she'd found it, but then she realised that the door was wrong. She sank to the steps in despair, and as she lay there crying, a woman came out of the temple and comforted her. She asked the little girl who she was. Shanty Devi replied, I don't know. The woman pulled her into her arms to comfort the little girl, and feeling safe and calm, Shanty Devi told her of her story, that she was a child, but she remembered being another woman called Lugati Devi. The little girl told the woman that she was born in Delhi, but she was also born in a town called Mutra, that she was married to a Brahmin man, and she knew the name of her husband and their address, and that she was slowly starting to realise, as everything was becoming clearer, what was happening. Rather than telling her she was making it up, the woman told her she understood, and asked her if she was suffering from it. Shanti replied that no, she was not ill, but she didn't know. I assume she means she didn't know if she was truly well. The woman told her she should not prevent her recollections from coming out, but also that she shouldn't force herself to remember. She should just let the recollections continue in their own pace and not be upset by them. Shanti replied that she had been upset sometimes because she was different from others. She asked the woman if she believed her, and the woman said yes, she did. For the first time, Shanty Devi had found someone who believed her and supported her in her belief, and she started to cry. She asked who the woman was, and the woman told her that people called her mother. Shanty Devi asked the woman how to get to Mutra, and the woman told her but warned her that she was too young to go on her own, and the distance was too great. She would need to wait until she was older and stronger. Her father, who had been out looking for her, appeared and, recognising the woman as an important person in the temple, 
begged her forgiveness for Shanty wasting her time with her chatter. He apologised profusely and called himself cursed for having a child with the affliction of her behaviour. He asked if, as was written in the Vedas, a person that remembers their past life must die. She told him to stop brooding over the law but to go home and not worry about it any more. The holy woman then touched his head with her hand and then touched Shanty Devi's head and left them. So just to keep my listeners in the loop, the Vedas is a large collection of religious texts that originated in ancient India. They're written in Vedic Sanskrit and they constitute the oldest scriptures of Hinduism. So Shanti's father told her that they needed to go home, but it was Navaratri. There was going to be a procession and Shanti wanted to watch it before they left. She told him she remembered the drums, pipes and string instruments playing and told him it's exactly the same as it is in Mutra. Navaratri is a Hindu festival that's a bit complicated to explain, but basically it spans nine nights and ten days and is celebrated every year in autumn. It's celebrated in many ways and celebrated differently in the north and south of India, but basically from what I can understand it's a celebration of the God's triumph of good over evil. And my apologies if I have that wrong. I, I got a bit muddled trying to work out exactly what it was and what it was about. So Rang Shanti's father, conceded to his daughter's request and they watched the procession. And as they absorbed the sights and sounds of the procession, Shanti's memory was stirred again. She told her father, Father, I was married during Nuvaradri in Mutra. It was as beautiful then as it is now, perhaps even more beautiful. My husband rode himself, together with others in the procession, on a white horse and he collected me from the house of the Chaturapujas. Her father asked, Chaturapuj? You've never mentioned that name before. Shanti Devi replied, Chaturapuj was my father in Mutra. My mother's name is Jagati. My husband collected me and let me ride together with him in the procession. We were so young, and we loved each other. I was wearing a white sari, my wedding sari. It was covered in pearls, all in white. My husband was wearing a long embroidered shirvani and a yellow turban. My jewellery was very expensive. So just for my listeners, a shirvani is a long tunic-style jacket that's often worn over the traditional Indian jodhpuri or jodhpur-style pants. What was the name of your husband? Rang Bahadur asked. You know I'm not allowed to tell you. I must ask him first. Shanti Devi replied. Can you describe his appearance? Why must I describe his appearance? I would recognize him among a thousand men. He has a mustache. There are many men who have a mustache. Can't you tell me anything else? He has a birthmark on his cheek. He's somewhat embarrassed about it. Rang Bahadur looked at his daughter thoughtfully. He said, If I could only understand where you get everything from, which you say you've seen before. Sometimes I believe. He admitted to Shanti Devi that she'd convinced him of the truth of her statements. He told her he didn't want to believe it, but that he had to concede that it was something he couldn't explain. So for the second time in the day, Shanti Devi was finally told that her account was believed. He said to her, You are no child, even though you have a child's body. I'm speaking to you as a grown-up. If the truth is meant to be known, then nobody can prevent it. 
Rang Bahadur was proven correct in his statement, as on the tenth day of the Navaratri celebrations, two men appeared at their house. It was the headmaster from Shantidevi School and Bishan Chand, the head teacher who had broken up the earlier bullying incident by the children. Rang Bahadur's fear reared its head again, and he somewhat defensively informed the men that Shanti Devi had given him and his family a lot of concern because of her statements. Bishan Chan told him that he had frightened her the other day unintentionally when he'd spoken to her after her being bullied. He told his father that he'd given a lot of thought to her behaviour. He informed Rang Bahadur that he believed in reincarnation and had studied it and asked if he could ask Shanti Devi some questions. Shanti was called to the room and was told she was going to be asked some questions about her previous life. She remembers her heart hammering and she said she was happy and dismayed at the same time. Bishan Chand asked, Does it not feel as if you have a life before this present life? You lived in another town, you grew up there, you had a home there. You wanted to continue but it doesn't and you must try and understand what happened. How do you comprehend all of this? Is it as if you have pictures in front of you? Shanti Devi replied that she saw pictures and heard voices. When she wanted to see it, it became clearer, and then to her, it was as if she was actually there. She told them she lived in a yellow house with beautiful windows. She explained, We live there and we're very happy. My husband talks to me. He is a Brahmin. One morning before he went to his store, which is situated near the Dwakadish temple, I heard that he went into my prayer room and asked Krishna for a son. I am sad. Perhaps I'll never have a son. My jeth, which means brother-in-law, comforts me well. I'm so young. There are so many pictures, so many voices. I'm crying. I'm lying in bed and I'm so tired and I'm in so much pain. The pain doesn't get better and it becomes dark. Both of the men stared at her in surprise. They noticed her voice even sounded different, much more mature and with a different intonation. She went on to tell them how she often walked to temple and bathed in the river Jumna. When she had a pain in her foot, a servant waited for her in a rickshaw and they would drive through the great gate, which was Krishna's gate. The street was blue. Her husband was extremely generous and kind. She was unhappy when he would leave her, and one day he left her when she was terribly ill and was about to be taken to hospital in a town she couldn't remember the name of. She couldn't remember what happened in that town, but she knew that her name was Lugadi Devi and that they had lived in the ninth house on Chorbay Street in Mutra. This was the first time she'd given the address of the house. She told the men she was married during the festival of Navaradri. They expressed disappointment that she couldn't remember her husband's name, even though she remembered so many things. Finally, Shanti Devi whispered his name to them. His name is Kedana, she whispered, then covered her face in her hands before walking back into her bedroom again. The two men found her recount extremely convincing and felt that Shanti Devi should go to Mathura to try and verify her memories. Her father objected, refusing out of fear that it may jeopardise Shanti's future. He still felt it was dangerous to delve into the memories and refused to allow the trip, 
he told them his daughter would not be used as an experiment and that they didn't have the right. The men tried to appease him by telling him there was no need to do anything right now and that a trip could be postponed until sometime in the future. Rang Bahadur was happier with that and felt that in time Shanti might mature and become more sensible and more stable. The two men left and discussed the matter and decided that, seeing as a trip to Mathura with Shanti Devi was not possible, perhaps they could test her statements by trying to write to Kedanath at the ninth house on Chorbay Street to see if they got a response. They felt it was a long shot and that he probably didn't exist, but thought it was worth a try. So the letter they wrote read, Pandit Kedanath Chorbay, and Pandit basically means wiser, respected man. Chobe Street 9, Matura. Most honoured sir, I have come in contact with a girl whose name is Shanti Devi Matur, who lives in Chirakana in Delhi. She is the daughter of a businessman, Rang Bahadur Matur. She is able to recall information about you, which is astonishing. This is what she says. In my past life, I was a Chorbe from Mathura. My caste was that of a Brahmin, and my husband's name was Kedar Nath. He had a store near the Dwakadish temple. The colour of my house was yellow. The name I had then was Lugadi Devi. May I trouble you, Pandit, to be kind enough to inform me if there was indeed any truth in these statements. Has Lugadi Devi existed? Does Kedanath exist? Please write to me if you exist. With God's blessing and with the greatest humility, Lala Kishan Chand, Headmaster, the Ramaja School, Dariagan, Delhi. After sending of the letter, life carried on as it tends to do for the next few weeks, and then one day the Headmaster called out to his colleague Bishan Chan in the school playground. Triumphantly, he pulled a letter from his pocket and began to read. Headmaster Lala Kishan Chand, the Ramja School, Dariagan, Delhi. I was extremely surprised, not to mention how excited I felt when I received your letter. What you have written is absolutely correct. I have had a wife whose name was Lugadi Devi. She is deceased. I do have a store which is near the Dwakadish Temple. Who is this little girl who knows all of this? I have a cousin in Delhi whose name is Pandit Kanjimal. He is employed by a company named Messrs. Bahasa Mal and Gulzari Mal. I have at the present time written to him and asked him to contact you immediately. I'd be extremely grateful if you could arrange it so that he can meet the girl in a suitable manner. May Krishna love and protect us all everywhere. Kedanath Chorbe. To say both men were surprised would be an understatement. The facts could now no longer be questioned. Shanti Devi did indeed know much more than she should have known about the life of Lugadi Devi. The two men talked about it, mulling over what the next steps to take should be. As they discussed the matter, a horse carriage approached and stopped at the entrance to the school. A man got out and introduced himself as Kanjimal Chobi, Kedanath's cousin. After introductions, Kanjimal indicated his desire to meet Shanti Devi so that he could assess for himself her claims about being Kedanath's 
deceased wife. The teachers explained that her parents were averse to taking the matter any further and that it was a delicate situation. They informed him that he'd have better luck if he went by himself, so that there was no accusation of trying to influence the situation, and they gave him Rang Bahadur's address. At the last minute, however, they decided to tag along, unable to bear missing the opportunity to see how Shanti Devi reacted on meeting a relative from her past life. Kanji Mal was dubious about her claims and made his visit expecting to reveal a con. When the three men arrived at the house, Kanji Mal and the two teachers walked into the open light courtyard. Shanti was there on a flight of stairs with her mother watching them walk into the courtyard with wide eyes. She said to her mother, Mama, a gentleman has come to visit. Her mother replied, He must be a business acquaintance. Someone has come to see your father. I don't recognise him. Shanti replied, But I do, mother. I recognise him. Surprising Kanji Mal with her words, the little girl jumped down the stairs and put her arms around his legs, clinging to him firmly. He asked her, Do you recognise me? It's impossible. Shanti replied, I know for certain I recognise you, but I can't remember your name. You are my husband's cousin. Kanji Mal was shocked, but asked her, How can you know I'm your husband's cousin if you don't know my name? Shanti replied, I recognised you. You've only changed a little. You've become more of a stranger. You're larger and stronger somehow. You are Kedanath's younger cousin. Kedanath's? stammered Kanjimal. Yes, that's my husband, Shanti replied confidently. He's a businessman in Mutra. You lived with us when I was Lugati Devi. Don't you still live in Mutra? Kanjimal was extremely uncomfortable and stuttered, I've moved. I wasn't allowed. You had difficulty trying to find a home you liked, and that's why you wanted to live with us. I remember more and more now. You didn't want to work for Kedanath because you wanted to be independent. Have you married yet? Married? No. Kanjimal's scepticism was already under attack by this point in time, and the little girl's open and affectionate tone of speech caught him off guard. He asked if he could ask her some questions, at which point her father interjected, reminding him that Shanti Devi was only a child, effectively warning the man to keep it to language and subjects befitting a child. Kanjimal asked how many brothers Ketanath had. Shanti Devi nodded and replied, My husband only had one brother. Was he older or younger than your husband? Older, of course. He is my Jeth. Is he still alive? He's alive and well. When you were Lugadi Devi, was Kedanath's father, your father-in-law, still alive? Yes, he was, but he was rather frail and in much pain. How is he now? He's greatly improved. Would you recognise him as well? Naturally. I'd recognise everybody. Almost everybody. Where did you live in Mutra? Oh, yes, I know that already from the letter. Shanti Devi looked at him in bewilderment. She had no idea that the teachers had written to Kedanath, and they had to explain to her that they sent a letter to the address she provided. Shanti lowered her head in dismay. You shouldn't have done that, she whispered. What will my husband think now? I regret telling you his name. Maybe he'll take offence. Maybe I won't be allowed to travel to Mutra again. She was told that Kedanath 
had written his cousin and asked him to see her. She replied that she was happy that he'd done that, and she now remembered his name. He was Kanjimal Chorbe. She looked at Kanjimal pleadingly. If Kedanath knows everything, why is it he doesn't come to get me? These parents are good and kind, and I like them, but please, Kanjimal, take me back to Mutra. Naturally enough, Shanti Devi's parents were very distressed to hear her say that, and Kanjimal realised that he needed to handle the situation very delicately and diplomatically. He told Shanti Devi that Kedanath was occupied with business and told her that at the present time he didn't have the time to receive Shanti Devi. Shanti asked Kanjimal if he thought that Kedanath had forgotten her. Kanjimal stated, How could anyone forget Lugdi Devi? No one can forget her. She was the most wonderful woman. Did they still like her after she was gone? Everybody liked her, including myself. Shanti Devi smiled when Kanjimal said this and said, You were particularly fond of Lugdi Devi. She was your cousin's wife, but you would never admit it. Perhaps you liked her more than you ought to have. She understood that. Once you came so near to her, I remember. Kanjimal interrupted her, telling her that such things shouldn't be spoken of, but by his shaken expression it was clear that Shanti Devi had been correct. The other things that Shanti remembered were that Lugati Devi did the shopping herself, and there was a grocery near her house, that Lugati Devi was extravagant and generous to people, and that she had a little money hidden in a secret place at home which nobody else but her knew about. It was on the top floor. There were a hundred and fifty rupees there, which she should have given to the Dwarkadish temple as an offering. She told them when she went back to her house she would show them where it was, although she felt that Kedanath already knew about it. Why were you going to offer the money? Kanjimal asked. I prayed to Krishna for a son. I did get the boy we longed for, and I named him Nuanita Lal. After ten days I became terribly ill. I'd been ill the whole time, but then it became so difficult. I don't quite remember. What happened? Kanjimal asked with a trembling voice. Shanti hid her face in her hands at the question, but when she raised her face, she was dry-eyed, and she said clearly and calmly, I died. When asked if she remembered where she was when she died, she said she'd been taken to a hospital which she had tried to remember the name of. She said she was so tired and was in great pain. Sometimes everything became dark. She lay in bed and prayed to Krishna. Kanjimal left shortly after, thanking Shanti Devi's parents for letting him visit and telling them, I came here as a skeptic and I'm leaving as a believer. I am convinced. In this frail girl's body lives Lugati Devi's spirit. Lugati Devi is with us again. As he left, Shanti Devi dashed after him and asked, How is my son? Kanjimal stopped and lifted her up. Your son is healthy and strong. He's a splendid boy who's well developed. He's a little larger than you are yourself. So Kanjimal then returned home and sent his cousin a letter telling him that he confirmed that Shanti Devi was indeed the deceased Lugati Devi who had reincarnated. He told Kedanath she remembered everything and that he was totally convinced, and he suggested that Kedanath 
visit her himself. So I think we'll leave it there and we'll go on next week with part two of this because there's still a lot more to reveal. This is only the beginning of the interesting and rarely related facts revealed in this fascinating story. Thank you so much for listening to Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. The support you've all given me while doing this podcast has been amazing and I'm humbled and I'm honoured by your enthusiasm for it. I'd like to make a special thank you to Jeff Gaist, Peter Mather and Matt Goodall. You're wonderful and I'm so grateful for the support you've shown. And to all of my loyal listeners, thank you so much for staying tuned and liking what I do. Without you, this podcast is literally nothing and I look forward to sharing many more shows with you in 2021. I hope you all have a very happy and safe break as we wind down the final few days of 2020, thankfully, and I wish you all a safe and happy new year. As always, if you have any interesting stories about reincarnation or if you can relate your own past life experiences, I'd love to hear about them, and I can be contacted through my email at reincarnation at gmail.com or via my Facebook page called Reincarnation Past Lives Revisited. We'll be back again soon with another episode, but until then, remember you are unique and your life has a purpose. Thank you.